Welcome back, everybody. I am Jack Tracy, your host of Star Trek Jujurations, and we are warping into Season 3 of Voyager, the last season of Voyager that I will be reviewing on this season of Star Trek Jujurations. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed last week's episode, um, Basics Bitches Wanted, where <laughs> I had my Sescapalooza. But now we are moving into Season 3. I'm going to do the first couple of episodes uh, letting you know which ones I zhuzh and which ones I think are fine, as is. So, uh, housekeeping, of course, if you are a Patreon subscriber, you're seeing me waving to you right now, unlike last week, which I forgot to record. So, um, as an extra special gift for the patrons, because I forgot to record last week's episode, you have gotten, or will get by the time of viewing this, um a look at my music video that's only released to my OnlyFans. Uh, I do have a music career outside of this, so um, you're getting that. Congratulations. If you uh, are not subscribed to the Patreon, um, you get things like video recordings, except for the one time I forgot. You get this episode early, uh, usually the day before, if not a couple days before, and um, you get invited to live watch parties. In fact, when this season of the podcast ends and I take a little break, during that break, I'm going to invite the patrons to watch the episodes with me that I'll be judging. So that's going to be a lot of watch parties you could join if you'd like. So uh, it's a low cost and it helps me produce the podcast. So if you're listening to this and you enjoy this, please consider joining me over at patreon.com slash Star Trek Zhuzh, Z-H-U-Z-H. And of course, I hope you're following me on Instagram where I post my funny little memes, Star Trek Zhuzh on Instagram, and also Star Trek Zhuzh on Twitter. Okay, that's enough. Season three. So before I get into the episodes, um, and of course we already did Basics Part 2, um... Season three, I feel, is a very uneven season for the show because they lost their through line and their arc, aside from just trying to get home, um, and didn't start a new one until they pick up seven at the end of the season in Scorpion, and then we've got the whole Borg thing. But between Seska's death and Seven of Nine's arrival, the show just kind of does a collection of sometimes good, sometimes bad bottle episodes that are your standard Star Trek fare that could have easily been done on TNG. So there's not a lot that's very original. There's no standard through line. Uh, you get some interesting things. The Doctor gets his mobile limiter. The Bellana Tom romance begins. So some stuff start. There are, there are important seeds planted in season three, but I view season three of Voyager the way I view season two of TNG, which is a couple important things happen, but overall the season's pretty forgettable. Um, it's fortunate that, you know, and, and, you know, people criticize that it became the Seven of Nine show when she joined. I actually don't think that's true. There were definitely a lot of Seven episodes, but there were plenty where she was not involved in much. Though, of course, uh, take a shot every time someone says nanoprobes. Uh, nanoprobes are always the answer. <laughs> Go to Seven, drain her some nanoprobes. She's the fountain of youth. Um, but the nanoprobes are the MacGuffin of Star Trek Voyager. So... Anyway, it's not really. 
they do the Borg dirty in some episodes, which I'm not reviewing, so we won't talk about it. And I hated the Borg kids, but except Egypt, but um, yeah, without it, I don't know if Voyager would have lasted. They would have had to come up with a serious new, even if it was a season by season arc. But this season really just kind of, kind of moseys along without any real momentum or connection between the episodes. So let's. So what we're going to do today are after basics, the first one, two, three, four, five, six episodes of Star Trek Voyager season three, three of which I think are perfectly fine, three of which I think need judged. That's not a good hit rate. And I think you're going to be surprised at both one of them I judge and one of them I don't. I think you're going to be a bit surprised, especially from, from reading reviews online of what people thought at the time and general sort of chatter about the episodes. Um, so let's go from the episodes that I think are the best down to the worst. So of this collection, the shoot, I believe, is the best episode. Now... Is this a very Miles and Bashir kind of episode that I feel like they've done or would have done on Deep Space Nine? Yes. Did it feel a little Armageddon game? A little. Did it feel... Is it Civil Defense? Where the Deep Space Nine activates a program? I guess that's a little worst case scenario. But uh, for Voyager, the corollary is there. But it felt a little that... It, it, it felt like a Miles and Bashir episode in a way. But... The Harry Kim and Tom Parrish relationship, when they're not being creepy perverts trying to bang some twins, trying to bang the Doublemint twins, um, when it's when they're not that, their relationship is actually pretty nice, and I like it. I like them being buddies. Um, I guess it's an extension because Star Trek Voyager. I mean, they all just like to continue the same trope. So I guess it starts with the buddy buddy Data Jordy. That became Miles Bashir. That became Tom Harry. And I like I, I like it. And I actually really like Bellana in that dynamic, especially at the B. I've talked about this, but the beginning where Harry to Bellana was kind of kid brother, and I really liked that. That kind of dissipated over the years, and it became more about Bellana and Tom. And Harry was kind of, you know, a secondary character in that threesome? How about that? That could have been an episode. Bellana wants to have a threesome? No, she wouldn't be into it. Tom would. I don't know if he'd want Harry there, because he was, uh... He was not very progressive in his views of sexuality. Tom was a pussy hound. So, I don't know if he'd want Harry there. But Tom wants a threesome could have been an episode. Anywho, um, that's not what happens in this episode. Uh, at least, I mean, it is a prison, so we all know things go down. It was in, it was at least not in the episode we saw. Who knows what happened between the scenes? Um, sounds like a, well, it, it's funny when I was reading the reviews of the shoot, uh, it was noted as a great episode for slash fiction. So, uh, and they didn't mean, um, Paris getting slashed and injured. They meant, uh, stories about, Paris and Harry fucking each other in the prison. Another episode. Could have had and didn't have. Thanks, Rick Berman. Um, yeah, it's the, the, what was it called? 
Oz. Star Trek Voyager does Oz. I could, uh, I'd watch that. I'd watch that. I'm sure most of you listening to this would too. Anywho, it's really great. The relationship between the two of them is great. Harry kind of losing his mind is a little bit Miles O'Brien when he kills his inmate in some We Must Torture Miles episode where he serves a life sentence in his head. Um, yeah. So, but overall, even though there's a lot of copying and borrowing from other Star Trek episodes, it is a really, really solid episode, and so you don't really mind. Next, False Prophets, which I will say R.I.P. Leslie Jordan. I forgot that he was in this. Leslie Jordan, of course, um, from, I think, most notably Will and Grace, and then um, as Beverly Leslie. And then, of course, uh, of internet fame and Instagram fame during the pandemic. Uh, he, I don't believe he was one of the, he was not one of the original Ferengi from The Price. So this is a sequel to The Price, which I think is great because it was an open question. I remember at the time, it was like, are they going to find the Barzan wormhole? Is that going to be the thing that gets them home in the end? No, it's going to be a okay season three episode, but. It was good to have a mention of the Enterprise. It was a good to have good to have at least one Ferengi episode. We got a second later where they're trying to murder Seven for her. You guessed it, nanoprobes. Um, that was that was a Barkley episode again, um, but it's fine. It's an interesting little adventure. It like I kind of liked that the Ferengi kind of got away with it. That they were quite crafty, because outside of TNG, sorry, outside of D Space Nine, with even some exceptions on D Space Nine, the Ferengi were often played as buffoons. Um, since it was an overcorrection from the fact that they didn't work as like big villains in season one of TNG, since that didn't work, they turned them into buffoons, and I feel like this was a a good middle ground. Like they were, they weren't buffoons. they they were. They had comedy. They were comedic, but they were still, like, crafty and hard to beat. I actually really – I like the idea of sort of the anti-Prime Directive. I think I give a shit about the Prime Directive. And the only thing I thought was a missed opportunity was they made it back to the Alpha Quadrant. So – Maybe that's the thing that should have alerted Starfleet they were still out there. And I don't think it was ever mentioned again. But there should have been some. Or if that was referenced in the Ferengi episode as the reason the, with Seven and the nanoprobes, if that was they knew. They didn't know about Seven because Seven didn't exist yet, but they knew that Voyager was out there. Uh, and that's why they're keeping an eye on Pathfinder. I don't know. Um it just because they made it back to the Alpha Quadrant, I think it deserved a mention in a later episode as to like what happened, um, or that there were rumors in the Alpha Quadrant about that Voyager actually survived, and you know it could kind of be like how like in Birthright, where you know, on it's a TNG episode where they're on D Space Nine and. Worf hears the rumor that his father might still be alive in the Romulan prison camp. It could be something like that. There's a rumor going around the Alpha Quadrant that Voyager's still around because a Ferengi told a Ferengi told a Ferengi, like one of those things. 
Um, could even utilize Quark in that. Anywho, just a missed opportunity on that. But overall, just a fun hijinks episode. And you get to have a Ferengi episode on Voyager through a really interesting way that calls in a TNG episode. So I just think that was a neat little package. And the one that I think you're going to be surprised with that I think is perfectly fine. And in some ways, a really great Star Trek story that I'm not sure has been told on any other series directly, which is Sacred Ground. First episode directed by Robert Duncan McNeil. Um, Kess, the annoying part of this episode is silly little Kess going touching things on an alien planet she shouldn't. Like, I know she's a, quote, child, but, you know, the child bride of the Thundercat. Gross. I know, I think they'd broken up at this point. I don't remember. Um, But, or they're about to break up. But, um, the fact that it all happens because she couldn't behave herself on an away mission just kind of paints her as an idiot. Like, she should know by now. She's been on the ship for how many years, right? Like, not to go touching things in an alien world. Um, But I liked the idea of Voyager kind of doing a Deep Space Nine kind of episode that deals with religion and things that can't be explained by science. Because, of course, the Bajoran religion was something that was at the center of Deep Space Nine, and so they dealt with those themes a lot. But Voyager never really did, and especially with Janeway as a woman of science. Um, So I really like the concept of the episode. The guest star was also great. I know I've seen her in other things. But the the main guide, she was just a really great actress. She was funny. She was fun. I liked her. Um, but I don't think... It is kind of boring. There's too many montages of, like, Janeway painting. Janeway, like, doing all this stuff that's, like... Too many montages. And I think you had to, like, you couldn't watch her do all of the things, but it was a bit scary. It was a bit interesting. Um, It was just a very unique episode. There's not a lot like that on Voyager. And we love, you know, to see Kate Mulgrew front and center of a story really about her um, and her deciding to, you know, go through with the ritual. And at the end, I mean, the best part of it is at the end when the doctor's explaining it. And she's kind of like, you know, in with her thoughts of just like, I don't know, like, maybe I had a spiritual experience, um, kind of leaving an open question. Um, yeah, I mean, is it a great episode? No, but it's a, I think it's one of, it's a unique Star Trek episode that explores a unique theme in a very Star Trek way. Um, that doesn't feel like a retread of anything else. So, and great performances. So, I don't have any problem with Sacred Ground. Is it on my rewatch list? Probably not. But if it were on, would I turn it off? No. Other episodes in this season, I certainly would. Can't wait to get to some of those. Um, and speaking of, it's time to zhuzh. And you're like, I'm sure some of you are like, wait a minute. What do you mean it's time to zhuzh? You, you you just, did you forget flashback? No, I didn't. And I think that's what some of you are going to be like, oh, clutch your pearls about. 
But before we get there, it's not the least of the zhuzhes. The least of the zhuzhes is actually, I think, the swarm. So in the swarm, you've got two completely disconnected plots. You've got doctors... Um, program is failing because he's been growing too much and his buffer isn't big enough so he goes to these destabilizing and they activate this like diagnostic program that's a hologram of Doc Zimmerman and by the end they use Doc Zimmerman's buffer to add to his buffer and now he can like grow and be a human great doctor story and then you've got the alien swarm that they've got to defeat that never shows up again, which was kind of done in Star Trek Beyond, kind of. Um, Cool-looking aliens that were given action figures by Playmates, but, also, but like, again, like, never seen again. Playmates made some weird decisions on what, what non, you know, after you're done with the main cast in their main uniforms, like... Like, oh, we're going to do Tom as the lizard, and we're not going to do Kulla, who's a recurring villain, but we are going to do the Swarm Alien, who shows up once in a forgettable episode. Riker is the Malkorian. Like, it's like, but why? But why? Just because it's cool looking? I guess. It is a cool-looking makeup. It's a cool-looking alien. But the fact that we never hear from them again is like, well, then why were they here? And it's like, yeah, they form a lattice and they drain things. It's an interesting way that they attack and do things. But, like, these are scary people that when you when you enter their space, no ship returns. And we dealt with them in one episode never again. Um, maybe they could have been the arc of season three. I don't know. It was just kind of a waste. Um so here's how I would judge the swarm. Rename the episode, because no swarm. Just make this about the Doctor. Get rid of the whole swarm thing. Save it for another episode. Make it make it a bigger episode, uh, a two-part or something. Uh, make them just, if you're going to use that as a concept and use that great makeup, give it more, more to do. So you made a swarm alien, but you didn't make a Lewis Zimmerman um, action figure. And there's no Geordi in the first contact target exclusive Playmates line. Anyway, this isn't an action figure podcast. This is a judge of Voyager. Uh, maybe I should do an action figure podcast. I've recently rebought all of them. Hmm. That could be interesting. Uh, that could be patron con- Patreon content just for the Patreons. So the swarm. So get rid of the swarm entirely. Make it a doctor episode. And you know, having rewatched the whole series now, Janeway isn't very Picard when it comes to the Doctor's rights as a hologram. Most times she's annoyed that he wants more and annoyed by his... She's kind of just like, oh, the Doctor wants to sing. Oh, the Doctor this. And and she's not painted as very... Like, it's not Picard data. It's not... Well, Picard was annoyed. They were all annoyed by Data at times, but they all very much supported the expansion of his. I don't know. Janeway just seemed least tolerant and really only came to it in Renaissance Man, which was the show before Endgame in season seven. Um, In an episode where the Doctor did something so wild he should have been deactivated forever. Anyway. um, So why don't we play into that? 
And the doctor's not having a problem. He's not going to disappear. There's no problem. He just has reached the limit of what he's able to do with his current memory buffer size. He wants to expand more, and he can't. So he goes to the diagnostic program to figure out a way. And the diagnostic program still is just like, Wait, why? You shouldn't be, and you don't want, you know, this and that. And it's the episode of the doctor convincing the diagnostic program of why he should and that he's become more than his programming and basically getting, you know, a representation of, quote, his father to understand him and be on his side. When that happens, he figures out a way and basically says, I will, you know, you should take my buffer and continue to grow. And the doctor can be resistant about that at first, feeling some type of way about that. And he's like, you know, this is my job to to keep you operating. And, you know, he comes around and it's a very sweet sort of gift. So the doctor goes to Janeway to just get permission to have Belana do it. And um, she says no, that they're going to need the diagnostic program, that he's, you know, he may break down in the future. They can't lose that. Um, she's given him a great amount of leeway. But Liwei runs out here. Sorry, Doctor. No new skills for you. And she's kind of a dick about it because she kind of always was a dick about it. And the Doctor defeated goes and tells Diagnostic Lewis Zimmerman. And he just does it. So because he convinced his father, kind of, um, he just does it anyway because he doesn't give a shit about what Janeway says. And if you want, you can even have Bellana, like have the opportunity to stop it from happening as it's happening, and she doesn't. That could be sweet. Anyway, that's how I would judge the swarm, which brings us to flashback. Because that's not the worst one, but it's the second worst. Here's the problem with flashback. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't add anything. Uh, there are no real stakes. You know Tuvok's not going to die of this virus. Um, it doesn't impact the events of Star Trek VI at all. Um, so there's no stakes. It's just a member Barry episode. Member? Member Star Trek VI? Member? That's it. That's all it is. It, uh, also, it's an inconsistent because Valtain didn't die in Star Trek VI because he's in the last... When Sulu calls over to the Enterprise at the end, you know, from our crew to yours, you know, blah, blah, blah. He's there. So he ain't dead. So it's also they were being sloppy and not paying attention to continuity, which, you know, sometimes you got to break continuity. But this was just like, oh, they just if, if they actively chose to ignore that for this story. So he died to pass over an alien thing all while this battle's going on with a with a TOS Klingon that. Neat, but doesn't mean anything. We know it's not going to destroy the Excelsior because they, you know, they, it, it was just a waste. It was a waste of Sulu. It was a waste of Rand. Was it nice to see them? Yes. Was the episode important? No. Also, it felt a little tapestry, but didn't have the weight of tapestry of like, you know, someone dying. Um, and it's, I know it was produced for the 30th anniversary along with Trials and Tribulations, and that was such a success because it was, oh, someone's screwing with the timeline. So there's actual stakes. Like, you could screw up the timeline. You know it's not going to happen at the end because it's a serialized show, but it still actually adds 
It's member berries plus actual steaks. And you involve the whole crew. This was just a Janeway Tuvok thing. And it's like, this is your anniversary episode and you cut out most of the main cast. So it's also boring. Tuvok always sick. He's got a brain thing. He uh, loses his ability to have logic. He has another brain thing. Like, he just, Tuvok, Tuvok needs health insurance. <laughs> he's, he's not well. He's not taking care of himself. Um, maybe it all happened when uh, Kess melted his face. Maybe that's when things went wrong. Um, anyway, so it's boring, and there are no stakes. So here's how I would change it. Okay. Now, you can't do the time travel thing, because DS9 did it. You can't have someone fucking with the timeline, because then it's like, oh, you're just, you both are using the same idea. So you're kind of hamstrung by that. Would it have been interesting to actually retcon Tuvik to be on the Enterprise B, since Tim Russ was on the Enterprise B in Generations, though he wasn't a Vulcan? Sure. That could have been interesting, but then you don't get Sulu, you get, uh, or you could just in a different way, and you get the Enterprise B captain. I don't know, because he was already there. You could at least have some mention that after he left the Excelsior, he actually served on the Enterprise B. And then it's sort of like, a, oh, that was Tuvok, kind of, even though it wasn't. You know, anyway. And he, was, he also used to be a mercenary that tried to steal trilithium from the, from the Enterprise. We'll just make all of Tim Russ's appearances um, um, uh, Tuvok. <laughs> anyway, I just watched that episode. Um, so instead... Episode starts. Tuvok goes into Janeway's ready room and resigns his commission. No answers. Resigns. Here you go. Leaves. That's the teaser. So the show is Janeway and the rest of the crew trying to figure out why. Because he has isolated himself in his quarters. He's not talking to anybody. He is content to just be by himself for the rest of the voyage. And help out however he can, but he cannot be a Starfleet officer anymore. He resigns. So you can have the whole crew involved and try to figuring out what's wrong with Tuvok, what happened. So in piecing it together, they go to the doctor and, you know, it's you know, patient confidentiality, blah, blah, blah. But he can say that he was in for over the last couple of weeks for headaches and nausea that he attributed to space sickness. Um, Kess says that he had been canceling their lessons um, and that after one particular lesson, he, he, she felt something had happened or something was strange. Um, and you can have her describe that she saw things like from the Excelsior or whatever. Um, it, there was a memory, there was something. Um, but after that, he needed time away and didn't continue her lessons. So she's the one that starts figuring it out because she goes to him and talks to him and, you know, kind of figures it out, you know, why aren't we continuing my lessons, this and that. And and he reveals to her that a repressed memory has surfaced. And she's like, oh, was it a trauma? Is it this and that? And he's like, no, he, re he repressed it himself through some Vulcan thing where you mind wipe yourself or whatever. And in the same way that they can contain their emotions, they can, like, repress memories and not have access to them. So that kind of frightens her, like, you actively suppressed something that's interesting, um, and it's resurfaced, and now he remembers it, and it led to him resigning his commission. So when Janeway learns this from Kess, she goes to his quarters and confronts him. He, At the very least, 
he owes her telling her why. So, um, it's, you know, he talks a little bit about his, it goes back to his time on the Excelsior, this and that. And then, um, she, they basically, they agree on a meld so she can see it. So you can do the same thing as flashback and you can have her with Sulu and all of that on the ship. So they do a meld and you live the story. And the story, instead of taking place during Star Trek VI, it takes place immediately after Star Trek VI. So you get Sulu, you get Rand, you can get Valtain if you want him. Um, and it's happening on the Excelsior, but you get a couple additional guest stars. So two people that you could absolutely get. You get Admiral Cartwright, who is now playing Ben Sisko's father. And you get Colonel West, who was uncredited, René Aubergenois. And he was the one who was in the Klingon makeup who actually did the assassination attempt that Scotty shot up in the up in the, the rafters. And then if you can, you get Kim Cattrall as Valeris. And what's happening is the Excelsior, after Kittimer, they were the ship that were transferring them to a Federation tribunal to have their court-martial and sentencing and all that stuff. So they're in the Excelsior Brig. And Tuvok, as a junior security officer, is the one watching them. And basically, it's a duet kind of episode where Valeris, if you have her, if not between Cartwright and um, West, basically through the episode, kind of convinced Tuvok through logic that they were justified in what they did. And you see Janeway seeing him like saddened that, that he is a young person is like, cause he was 29. I think they say at the time him actually succumbing to this, to their reasoning about what they did. And he doesn't do anything like let them go or whatever, but he like sympathizes in a way that he's deeply ashamed but then the big thing is during in the moment at during the transport, the Excelsior is attacked by a bird of prey, and it's one that is seeking. They want to kill the prisoners because they were behind the assassination of the Chancellor. They don't want them to go to a Federation tribunal. They want them summarily executed because they won't be treated that way by the Federation. And you could even have, if you want another cameo, you have that the, it's, you know, captained by one of the, you know, the one of the TOS Cleons. I forget which one we had, Kor, Koloth, one of them. Um, or you have it captained by um, the, the advocate for McCoy and Kirk in Rorapente, who was Worf, or a uh, ancestor of Worf. So you can get Michael Dorn in there, right? So there's a real 30th anniversary. You're getting everybody involved. And they're already on Deep Space Nine. They're already working. You can give them a day off there and they can come over and film this. Give them a pay raise. Give them a bonus. So you can get all of that. Um, unfortunately, or, or so during the fight, there's a power outage and the brig drops and they go to escape. They're going to commandeer a shuttlecraft. And Tuvok doesn't stop them. He doesn't help them, but he doesn't stop them. 
ultimately they are stopped by the Excelsior crew. Um, some sequence there. You can have Rand and, and Sulu be the heroes. They're put back in the, the, the brig. They ask Tuvok what happened. And maybe Valeris or one of them says, you know, we stunned him or something. And that's it. He was never, you know, it was never reported. He never held a counter. And he, he, Tuvok in real time can talk about how guilty he felt about that. And it was consuming and he repressed the memory. Um, and you could have it be that he did it there or it haunt, it weighed on him. It was the reason he ultimately resigned from Starfleet instead of the reason they gave. And during that time... Instead of doing, he resigned to go, he had found it difficult to work with humans and then went and did the the Spock ceremony where you commit yourself to logic. Uh, Instead of that, that he repressed the memory. That's what he did during that time. And he used the logic thing as an excuse um, that that was the real reason. And so at the end, Janeway, you know, refuses his resignation. Of course, this was a long time ago. He was young and impressionable. They were very, you know, um, she can't hold him accountable for that. It happened, you know, a hundred years ago or 80 years ago, however long it was. And, but he demands that he, he must be reprimanded in some way. And she agrees to put a demerit in his record and log the incident to be reviewed by Starfleet when they return. But that, that, you know, that that's all. So repercussions, something that doesn't, you don't know what's going to happen. Because it happens after Star Trek VI, you get your guest stars back, you get more guest stars, Tuvok doesn't have a disease, and you get more of the cast involved, at least before they do the meld. All right. Finally, we get to the last Zhuzh episode, which I think is one one of, it would put in the top ten worst episodes of the series, which is Remember. This was a difficult one to watch. And the thing that makes it so disappointing is that the subject matter is pretty much the Holocaust. And there it's too important and big of a subject to do in such a forgettable, boring episode. So that's really the problem with this. It's boring. It's... It's boring, it's forgettable, and it's a disservice to the subject matter that's being, you know, addressed. Uh, Also, we have done I'm Experiencing an Alien's Memories so many times that it's, like, you you just needed to put a, unless you got a new spin on it, you gotta stop. Like, it was just done too many times to be interesting, and all other episodes did it better. In fact, they did it better in Season 7 with Memorial, where they dealt with PTSD. That was a good way to do it. I thought that was a great episode. This one doesn't—it just doesn't get there. It also includes something Star Trek likes to do at times, I think, to appeal to a sort of conservative audience, which is progressive people murdering or suppressing conservative people for their— the way they want to live their lives, which feels not very Federation, not very Star Trek, not very... Now, I get this wasn't, you know, Star Trek, it wasn't the Federation doing it, it was a, an alien world doing it, 
but they do this concept a lot in a way. It's like, and in real life, it's not like we see that very often. I'm sure, you know, we can point to historical instances where that's happened, but like, usually it's the conservatives trying to oppress progressives because they're afraid of progress. Uh, we see it all the time in the United States. Doesn't seem to be the other way around. I don't see, I don't see progressives looking to exterminate people who live conservatively. I just don't like when Star Trek does this because it, it, it sort of fuels an argument that's a false argument in today's world where this just isn't happening. Anyway, it's just, I don't, I just don't like when episodes do that as a, as a proud progressive. Uh, I just don't see that happening. Anyway, um, so you got to get rid of the, you got to do something different with the alien memory and you just got to make it more, just got to make it more interesting. Like Balana just, she gets pissed and then she yells at them in the mess hall and then that's it. It's just like, what? So still make it a Balana story because again, it's a Balana story that doesn't deal with the fact that she hates being a Klingon or has a temper. So that's good. Um, but instead of the memory thing, have it be that it is happening while Voyager is there. So this can be one of those worlds that are, you know, usually the Delta Quadrant's full of dicks. Uh, everyone hates Voyager. Everyone's an asshole in the Delta Quadrant. If you haven't noticed, all the aliens are assholes. So have this be one where they're actually friendly and they're helping and they're doing repairs and they're getting supplies and blah, blah, blah. And Balana falls in with some locals or some protesters or something and gets alerted as to what the government is doing and that they're keeping it under wraps and most people don't know and they're being silenced and and all of that. Um, so she learns about it, goes to the captain. Maybe she goes to, maybe she doesn't believe it at first, goes and sees it for herself on some unsanctioned surveillance away mission. Maybe she takes Tom with her and is horrified that they are, you know, committing a genocide. And goes to Janeway, we need to do something. And she's like, I can't involve myself in the affairs. Well, what if they requested asylum? There's way too many of them. Um, she is equally horrified and we're not going to do business with them and then we're going to leave and we're going to... But we can't interfere with their internal politics. Well, it's a humanitarian, you know, thing. And it's like, well, we can provide them supplies and stuff but you know we could care for them if they're wounded or whatever but we can't we can't give them weapons we can't we can't and that could be just a real like you know there are episodes where the prime direct prime directive sucks but for the prime directive to bar them from stopping a holocaust that's real rough it could be a really challenging episode um so at the end, what we can have Balana do, because she ain't going to leave it alone. And Balana does a lot of things that should have ended with her in the brig or um, at least losing her job. She's done a lot of wild stuff that Jane kind of is just like, you shouldn't have done that. She programs the doctor to give her surgery. To, like, it's just, she, Balana has done a lot of wild things. She would, she'd be in Ensign Row prison. Anyway, she was not, she was not uh, reprimanded. Tom was reprimanded more than anybody. I mean, he was the only one who was really reprimanded. Everyone else did wild stuff, and she just kind of let it go. 
Um, but anyway, Balana disobeys because, of course, she's going to disobey. But what she does is she realizes that if more people knew, which parallels the Holocaust, it was when, from what I understand of history, and I'm not a history scholar, but from what I understand, involvement with the United States really became... Um, the United States decided to get involved with one when they attacked us because we only care when – we apparently only care when things happen to us as opposed to when things happen to other people. But also word of what was going on became more public knowledge. Um, uh, the United States knew what was happening, but I don't – from what I remember, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I'm not standing by this as something I firmly know. But from what I remember, at least what I was taught – which may not be correct, is that the general populace didn't really know what was happening when it came to the Holocaust. Um, but, so she knows the only impact she can have is to make sure everybody knows. So whatever surveillance data, footage, it's better if it's footage, stuff that she saw, the horrific things she saw, she hacks into their planetary communications and she blasts it to everyone. So at least everyone knows and hopefully that can lead to change, which, of course, is a huge violation of the Prime Directive, but Bellana don't give a shit. I think that makes that a better episode. But what do you think? Are you mad I touched Flashback? Um, are you a Remember Stan? Is Remember your favorite Star Trek episode of all time? Do you watch it every day? Um, are you mad I got rid of the Swarm Aliens? Is that Swarm Playmates action figure your favorite of all time? Are you a Swarm Stan in the way that I'm a Seska Stan? You need to let me know. And here's the ways you can let me know. You can follow me on Instagram at Star Trek Zhuzh, Z-H-U-Z-H, Star Trek Zhuzh. And, of course, you can join the Patreon and watch videos of me. And, in fact, this video you got, if you're getting this video, you're getting a lot of special things because my computer was breaking down as recording this. So there's a lot of extra side stuff of me complaining to the camera about my stupid computer and resetting. So all of that just rich behind-the-scenes content of me lamenting my computer. If you're not on the Patreon, you don't get it. So, man, is that well worth a couple bucks of... I don't know. Uh, if you'd like to join me, I would really appreciate it. Patreon and join live viewing episodes. All right, so we are back next week with a couple more episodes of Season 3 of... A the Aimless Season 3 of Voyager. Hope to hear from you on the Instagram. Uh, live long and prosper.